this morning. I'm going to introduce to you our speaker who has been uh, an elder at this church for ages upon ages. Upon ages? How many ages is it? It's a lot of ages. Um, he is, uh, he, he's Dave Forsyth, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm not that old. <laughs> I feel it sometimes, brother, but, <laughs> and I may look it, but yeah, only a number, eh? All right. Well, we're going to be wrapping up our uh, series in the, on the Beatitudes uh, today, and uh, I know you've been enjoying that, so hopefully we'll, I don't know that at all. What am I saying? Let's just get into this. A couple of weeks ago, I received an email, and I know many of you also would have, from one of our missionaries who said that someone they knew, a local pastor in the area where they worked, had been abducted. He had been, and it was a professional job. There were five hidden, or five hooded men, a couple of three vans, and they just took him right off the street, hustled him into a van and took off. And uh, his wife uh, has yet, as far as I know, to hear from the abductors. There's really no word. They don't know who it was that took him or why. They suspect uh, his wife has gone to the local authorities uh, frantically, as you might imagine, but uh, nothing has transpired in terms of hearing from him. And in general, that's not a good sign, is it? Um, now, stories like that, uh, they, they affect us, don't, don't they? We, uh, we find it hard to hold in our minds for very long. We want to, okay, we're here, comfortable North America. They're there where these things are happening. And uh, we... Well, we struggle with that. We, we, we may pray, but I fear there are times when we don't even pray for those people, at least not in any meaningful way, because it's too uncomfortable for us. And uh, into that uncomfortability this morning, Jesus speaks to us. Uh, we're going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. It won't be up on the screen. Uh, I was uh, technically defective this week, so no slides for you. It's not an uncommon state for me. But uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, you can get one from the usher. Just put your hand up if you uh, otherwise access your Bible or your Bible app, and away we go. Matthew chapter 5. But I want you, before we do, I want you just to note the setting of this. Jesus has been preaching. He's been healing people, performing wonders. And so he has a gathering of literally thousands of people that are following him as he walks through the countryside. And then we're told he takes a little trip, a little hike up a mountainside, a hillside, and sits down. 
And his, clo- his disciples, his chosen disciples, come and sit around him, and his, his closest followers come and sit close to him. And other crowd, the crowds that were following him also came and sat down or stood and, uh, to hear what he had to say. And it says, um, and it struck me that it's kind of like this group this morning. A group of close followers, a group of people here for varying reasons, varying degrees of interest or commitment. So with that setting, hear the words of Jesus. Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, these are are your words, and we come, and we look to you uh, to speak to us today, where we welcome you. Take your place here among us, and be enthroned here, we pray. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Now, we've been studying this passage of the Beatitudes for several weeks now, and uh, in our small groups and personal study, perhaps, we've been reflecting on what are these qualities that he's been talking about? What does it mean to be meek or poor in spirit or pure in heart? And uh, there's, uh, because of the way Jesus has presented these things, it can be kind of an intellectual exercise, right? We can analyze, observe. Blessed are the, uh, those pure in heart type people out there, or blessed are those ones who are actually able to be meek. Um, we, can, we can sort of objectify, put it outside ourselves and analyze it and think about it and, and figure it all out. But never actually do it. Never actually 
take those things into ourselves. It's a danger whenever we start studying God's word. We, we put it out there away from it. But that was never the intention of Jesus when he taught. And uh, while you may have, have uh, been able to do that in these first number of, of uh, Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are those ones who are meek, and so on, you can't do it with this last beatitude that we're studying today. He starts the same way. He says, blessed are those uh, who are persecuted. Blessed means you know, happy, to be envied, lucky. These are all words we try to get at the essence of this blessed word, blessed meaning this blessedness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But now he does something that he hasn't done before. He hasn't done with any of the other Beatitudes. For the first time, he expands the statement. Right? He makes further comment on it. And more than that, he makes it personal. It's kind of if he's saying, blessed are the pure in spirit, blessed are uh, the... Uh, the uh, whatever, <laughs> all the, <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on. Uh, but then he goes, blessed are you. I'm talking about you here. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In a sense, he was prophesying, or at least foreshadowing, what was going to come for his disciples. And really all who would follow him. It was, blessed are you when, not if. Now this passage is the Beatitudes, these first several verses of chapter 5, or the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Three more chapters of, of Jesus' most pure, hardcore teaching, the center of the Christian faith, really. Um, and it's at this point that everything, that he brings it home. This makes it personal. These words are for you, and for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's you that is, our, is the leading edge. You have heard, but I say to you. And so this is where it turns. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing because it's at the moment where he says the most extreme thing, if you're trying to gather followers, right? He says the most extreme thing. You're going to be persecuted, uh, and I want you to rejoice in it. But it's at that point when he makes it the most personal. And then he brings it home further uh, by stating a stunning fact. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Are you a Christian today? 
then you are the salt that seasons the world with your character, your integrity, your compassion, perhaps your humor. You are the one who bears the very life and light of Jesus to this generation. Now, Jesus made this personal at that moment with his disciples, and I'm going to make it personal for you today. So I want you to say out loud with me, after me, repeat, please. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Oh, sorry. Say it again. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Again, I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. How did that feel? It's the truth, and it's why Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. What do I mean by that? Early in the book of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Now, to a first century Jew or Greek, I guess the west coast of North America would be the very ends of the earth, right? Uh, today, right now, you and I are his witnesses to this end of the earth. Agreed? Makes sense? There's only one Greek word used for the word that we translate as witness in our English versions, and that's, um, and that's the word, the Greek word martus, which, of course, from which, of course, we derive the much scarier term martyr. Right? See the connection here. Persecution, Jesus' words on persecution, then salt of the earth, light of the world. I don't think we, we can't separate. Please don't separate those things. Uh, there are separations and paragraphs and things in, the, in our Bibles that aren't in the Greek. <laughs> so please hold those things together. Uh, his words about persecution are immediately followed by saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The two are connected. Uh, and in the New Testament world where the, where the New Testament was written, it was so common for witnesses, these martus people, to be martyred that the two words became uh, connected. Almost synonymous. Witness one who suffers for their faith, one who dies for their faith. Where and when we testify to our faith in Jesus, what he's done in our lives, we'll experience at least a taste of martyrdom. If not that, at least a taste of suffering in our lives. That's what Jesus is, that's what this, this passage is talking about. This is what he's communicating. Now, it's important that we get what we're 
bearing witness to when we start to try to understand this? What are we bearing witness to? I mean, Arthur introduced it to us. It's the unbelievable hope that sins might be forgiven. No matter what we've done, sins can be forgiven. No matter what we've done. It's a promise of uh, not just a second chance. Now, a second chance is a pretty cool thought. It'd be great to have a second chance, right? But it's way better than that. It's this, as Arthur said, this whole new life that starts from within and starts to emerge out. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an adventurous life, a rich, full life, satisfies the deepest cravings of our soul. It, it's a life that we were made for. And we can grasp it. It answers the cries of our souls. And it's not just a life here. It's a life that stretches. Wow, stretches past death. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing, that we don't have to fear death anymore. It stretches past death and into not just some nebulous thing, but a joy-filled eternity forever. Now, does that not answer the cry of your soul? Forever, where everything is made right, finally. Wow. Justice. Finally, justice. What a thought. A life here and now in which we're dearly loved children of a living God. Along with the promise that nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from that love. That's what God the Father bought for us by giving us his son. It's what Jesus bought for us on the cross. That's what we mean when we say the word gospel or good news. Those words, you know, we, we become so commonplace that uh, I think we think we, we miss the glory of what we're talking about here. The Greek word they translate is euangelion. It's uh, made up of a composite word made up of good and messenger. It evolved to mean a good message. And it, it emerged out of, out of uh, the thought of a herald bringing back good news of a victory in a battle. A messenger coming saying, we won, we won, we won the battle. Or of a messenger coming and bringing a message of favor from the gods. That's kind of the background roots of this. The euangelion of Jesus Christ this, no, declares that the seemingly all-powerful triad of sin, death, and the devil is broken forever. Sin is broken. There's a sure and certain hope for any and all who would receive the free gift by bowing the knee to Jesus, accepting this. Wow. This is good news. It's 
more than that. It's glorious news that resounds to the heavenly realms. John Piper, who's a modern-day theologian, he's a good guy, says this. From now on, until he comes again, speaking of Jesus, there's no trumpet summoning God's people to sword and shield and chariots and horses or guns and tanks and missile launchers. Instead, the God of armies has dispatched his ambassadors among every enemy outpost with the message of amnesty, the offer of reconciliation with no recriminations for past disloyalty. Well, let it go. You can be forgiven. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you've done. That's good news. And we are the heralds of it. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for that reason, for being the herald of this news. Now, where does that persecution come from? From the enemies of this glorious message of victory. One way of thinking about it is, what the New Testament calls the world. And that the world is, was kind of probably most, uh, get a little window on it best when in the temptation of Jesus, when Satan says, you know, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all their authority, and says, you can have these if you'll just worship me. It's, a, system, a world system, unseen but real, of authorities and powers and influences, all designed to draw you away from who you are, from what God has intended for you. It, it works in all kinds of ways, but it plays on our fears, plays on our love of money, our love of power, plays on all these things, all these weaknesses, our envies, our pride plays on those things. One example uh, is, may or may not relate to, is Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Now, he knew what the right thing to do was, right? He knew that Jesus hadn't done anything worth dying for or even being punished for. He knew all that, and he was actually quite afraid that uh, because of his wife's message and so on, whoa, this is something big. And he was intending to let Jesus go. But when those who wanted to see Jesus out of the way said, well, you know, Pilate, Caesar's, <laughs> Caesar's going to be mad if you're going to let someone go who says he's a king running around. You know there's no king but Caesar. And that actually turned the trick for him. He went, oh, I might get in trouble. Hmm, oh well, go ahead, crucify him then. And he tries to wash his hands of it, right? But it doesn't really work. He's still seen and always will be as the one who crucified, had Jesus crucified. Now, I mean, he had the choice to do the right thing, 
but the pressures of the world made it virtually impossible for him to go ahead and do the right thing. Now, that's one example in a very unique little way of how the world can work. But, as I said, it's in all kinds of ways. And there's this, this current, this current of uh, unseen cultural, spiritual current that takes us away. And, and when we go against the current, we go against the flow, we can run into mockery, abuse, or worse. You know, second source of persecution, um, historically and at present, can come from within the church. I mean, we have to be honest about that. It doesn't, you don't have to study church history very long to see Christians mistreating Christians in the name of God. And I would, uh, there's all kinds of examples you could, could give of that, um, but it's just the truth I, want, I need to acknowledge today. And I like to see it as the world, okay, maybe one source of persecution, but it's really the world in the church that it provides that second source of persecution. But whether, whether the visible source of the persecution we experience is the unbelieving world or members of a church community, our real persecutor is invisible and resides in the spiritual realm. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against what the Bible calls the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the heavenly realms. It could make, take the form, as one of our missionaries was saying, it could take the form of soft persecution, being looked over for a job promotion or uh, being frozen out of a social circle or... or um, being mocked by former friends, family, conflicts. Or it can be hard persecution, being deserted by a spouse. Um, being cut off by your family completely. Being imprisoned, of course, abducted, killed. That all persecution, soft or hard, is ultimately inspired, empowered, and manipulated by unseen demonic powers which hate both you and the God you worship. That's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, Anina uh, told us a story about her friend who was, her friends of hers who were hit in a car accident and, uh, and they'd been active in advancing God's cause in her view. And uh, she encouraged, she was led to encourage them by saying, you know, you are being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And, uh, and it's, while there were no human persecutors in that situation, there wasn't anybody who purposely went and harmed them, uh, she, I think her discernment was right. She recognized the fingerprints of the real author 
of all persecution. Normally, though, Satan exploits the weaknesses of human nature, our woundedness, our fears, our, our desires for power, perhaps just our cruelty, our greed, and maybe envy, which uh, is something that I've um, been reflecting on lately. <laughs> but he uses those things and to bring persecution at human hands. I repeat Jesus' words in this context of persecution. You are the salt of the earth. You, we, are the light of the world. We're the heralds of this news. We're it. We're it. God doesn't have any other plan for the west coast of North America. You're, you and we are it. Now, we as elders, uh, over the last couple of years, we've been praying and thinking and seeking God uh, as to what, how we should progress as a church. And we've been finding ourselves drawn to this very thing. Uh, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And uh, the three stones, you know, that we, you took uh, last, was it last week or the week before? Um, they're as kind of a, a part of this line in the sand. Those three people you're going to be praying for, uh, those are the ones that you're going to be the light of the world to. You're going to be the salt of the earth to. And that's how the gospel this good news, this, uh, those are two light words. Lincoln, give me a better word for the gospel, eh? <laughs> I know if anybody can, you can. <laughs> this glorious thing, this, this news that, that shakes heaven and earth, you're going to be communicating it through your lives in just the way God intends. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do that no one else can do. And we're going to stake the future of this church on that belief. And then we're going to encourage you, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to equip you in any way we can to fulfill those things, those callings, just the way God's created you to do it. No more, but also no less. If you belong to Christ, you have spiritual enemies, powerful ones. That's just a fact. It becomes more evident, perhaps, when we step out and bear the light of Christ before the world. Paul says, all we who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If there's any doubt about that, there isn't any more. And what do we do in the face of that reality? First, we have to realize that uh, the people who may be hurting us are not the real enemy. We will not advance the cause of Christ or even our own cause 
by lashing out or returning evil to evil. We're to love our human enemies, overcoming evil with good. That much the New Testament makes clear. It's difficult to do, but it's very clear. And it's here that I, at least, return full circle to this reflection we've been having over the past several weeks on the Beatitudes. How did you feel when you spoke out, I am the salt of the earth? You are, you know. I am the light of the world. How did you feel about that? Make you uncomfortable, maybe? For me, at least, if those statements are true, and they are, I'm driven to the fact that I'm in no way fit for that calling. If I'm to bear his name faithfully to the world, I need that transformation that Arthur was talking about, and I need it desperately. I'm driven to ask, make me, Lord, make me into the type of person that's described here. I have to be that. That includes someone who rejoices when subject to persecution. Come on. With, with me, I know that's impossible. But we're promised and invited into that reality that with God, all things are possible. And I I'm, dare say that that's... Uh, probably get in trouble from some theologian out there. But I believe that the whole, it's the whole point of the Beatitudes, these absurd statements. Ah, mourning, blessed when I'm mourning, blessed when I'm persecuted, come on. Meek, inheriting the earth, come on. How can this be true? And the whole point of, these, of the Sermon on the Mount, which goes on to tell us to love our enemies and so on, it's not that we strive after the impossible, to do the impossible by our own. Uh, okay, I guess I got to try even harder. Oh, don't look at that woman. You know? this, it's that we would cry out, God, these things are impossible. Change me. Make me, Lord. And then he begins to. He begins to do the impossible from the inside out. How does it happen? Well, God, you know, hasn't left us without resources. The same thing that transforms us into the salt of the earth and the light of the world is also our hope for transformation. Of course, it's the definition of a Christian, someone who, by faith, has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes us the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the Holy Spirit within us. Being born again by that. The resources to be beatitude people are within the heart of each believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we won't go far wrong as we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, listen, you know, Paul's, these words from Paul. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does within us. Against such things, there is no law. Beautiful. Against such things, there is no law. This is the place of true safety. And if I want to be the light of the world, these are the things I want to bear before it. These are the, these are the qualities. And I suppose someone could draw lines to the Beatitudes from these fruit of the Spirit qualities. Wouldn't be hard. But either way you go, this is a good guide for us. And also, it's the way I want to face persecution when it comes with these responses, not with my own natural ones. For some of us here, this might require decision. Uh, you know, Derwin uh, mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, we can tend to treat God, we can live our lives treating God as our cosmic problem solver. We go along, live our lives. Oh, we've got a problem. God, fix it so I can go back to being what I am, what I want to be, what I want to do. And uh, sadly, that's not that uncommon. But God's never going to allow you to live that way very long. And he's got something way better for, for you as a follower of him. It's his companionship even in your sufferings. I was thinking of the end of Apostle Paul's life. He mentions two things that were joys for him. Uh, one was the people that he had, had a, played a role in leading to Christ. Called them their, his joy and his crown. But the other was, <laughs> he counted everything else rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul knew Jesus better <laughs> because of his sufferings. And he had Jesus' companionship with him in those sufferings. And he counted that treasure beyond measure. And he looked forward to heaven, which was assured him because of his fellowship in Jesus' sufferings. As I prepared for the sermon, I asked some of our missionaries that work in countries where there's a great deal of hostility towards Christianity um, and asked what they would say to us who live in safer environments, let's say. As it turned out, the abduction to which I referred at the beginning today occurred about the same time as I made this request. And our missionary gave this report as part of his reply to me. I'll read what he wrote back to me. He writes, Recently, I had a conversation with a local church leader about our brother who was abducted. I asked him how he felt about it. 
as the same could easily happen to him. His response, every day we put our lives, our children, our families, our friends in the Lord's hands. Then we trust him. Our lives are not our own. So we trust him. Reply goes on. I thought this very simple but profound for those of us in this context, meaning being in a, a, a land hostile to the good news of Jesus. For those of you in a free society, he goes on, for those of you in a free society, remember those who don't, aren't so fortunate and be grateful. So when we're tempted to be guilty over our favorable living conditions in the light of persecution in other lands, uh, accept the gift of God, then remember and pray for those who live in more vulnerable settings. Go back to this response. Every day we put our lives, our children, our families, our friends in the Lord's hands. Then we trust him. Our lives are not our own. So we trust him. For those who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, the heralds of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil, those sound like good words to live by. As we do, we're promised two things. We're promised the companionship of Christ. And we're promised that we would be among the blessed. We will be blessed. Amen.